There were once six blind men who stood by the side of the road every day, begging from people who passed. They'd often heard of elephants, but they had never seen one. Being blind, how could they? So it happened one morning that an elephant was driven down the road where they stood, and when they were told that the great beast was before them, they asked the driver to please stop this elephant so that they might know what an elephant was. Of course, they could not see him with their eyes, but they thought that by touching him, they could learn just what kind of animal he was. The first one happened to put his hand on the elephant's side. He said, well, well, now I know all about an elephant. He is like a wall. The second felt only of the elephant's tusk. He said, my brother, you are mistaken. He's not at all like a wall. He's round and smooth and sharp. He's more like a spear than anything else. The third happened to take hold of the elephant's trunk. Both of you are wrong, he said. Anybody who knows anything can see that this elephant is like a snake. The fourth reached out his arms and grasped one of the elephant's legs. Oh, how blind you guys really are, he said. It's very plain to me that he's round and tall and strong like a tree. The fifth happened to be a very tall man, and he chanced to take hold of the elephant's ear. Blindest man ought to know that this beast is not like any of the other things that you have named. He is like a huge fan waving back and forth. The sixth was very blind indeed, and it was some time before he even could find the elephant. At last, he sees the animal's tail. Kind of a risky thing to do, but he sees the tail. He said, you foolish fellows, he said, you have lost your senses. The elephant is not like a wall or a spear or a snake or a tree. Neither is he like a fan. Any man with any sense at all can see he is exactly like a rope. And then the elephant moved on, and the six men sat by the roadside arguing, quarreling about him all day. Each believed that he knew just how the animal looked, and each called the others derogatory names because they did not agree with him. Now, this parable has often been used through centuries now to prove that no religion has a corner on the truth, that no religion can say it is the only correct one. They say that like the blind men. Our frame of reference is so small that we can only see a little part of the whole picture of who God really is. All perspectives then must have equal value, and none of them is complete in itself, or so they say. Three weeks ago, I called this worldview pluralism. This view is being accepted more and more today, even though it really doesn't make logical sense. Pluralists say that we have to accept all religions as valid, because within each of them is a measure of the truth. And only when we have all of it put together will we really understand who God is or how we are to worship him. Now, the point of the ancient story of the blind men and the elephant sounds good until you realize one thing. The blind men were not all right. They were all wrong. (laughs) They only knew by their subjective experience a small part of the elephant, the parts that they touched. None of them could even see the elephant at all because, after all, they were blind. And none of them touched the entire elephant, but only their part of it. Reaching out to God on our own, we cannot know or comprehend what God is like. He is outside of our realm of experience. What we can know about God subjectively is actually a pretty small amount. The only way for us to know fully who God is, 
is if he reveals himself to us. We can only know God if God chooses to show himself to us, and thankfully, our God has done just that. God has revealed us to us uh, himself through his son, Jesus of Nazareth. If we want to see what God is like, we have only to look at Jesus. We just need to get to know Jesus. And this is the point at which Christianity differs, I think, from all other religions. No other religion claims to worship the one God who came down and lived on earth as a human being. All other religions are based on God's uh, revelation, in a, in not, not based on God's revelation in a person, but on man's perception of God based on his own subjective dreams or visions or traditions. Muhammad, for instance, didn't claim to be God, but only a prophet who had a few dreams about God. Buddha didn't claim to be God, but only a pilgrim like us, a spiritual pilgrim who thought he had figured out how to reach enlightenment. Hindus today worship thousands of gods, but none of them has a story like Jesus' verifiable story. All of their stories are based on mythology or folklore. Hundreds of religions exist in the world today, but Christianity is different. Christianity is based on Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, revealing everything we need to know about God. Through Jesus, God chose to reveal himself in a form that we could see and hear and touch. In Jesus, we see God for who he really is. Well, in this sermon series that we've had this summer, questions that deserve an answer, we have looked at a lot of questions that are important to us and to our future. We have given solid answers to the most fundamental questions of life, such as, does God exist? I mean, how much more fundamental can you get? Why does God allow evil or suffering in the world? How can a loving God send people to hell for eternity? These have been some pretty tough questions, and I think some good answers have been given through the summer. And in the past two weeks, we've started focusing only on Jesus. Our attention has been on Jesus of Nazareth. And we have answered two questions, did Jesus really exist? Especially, can we see him outside the Bible? And did Jesus' resurrection really happen? And today we come to our final question of the summer. Not the final question, perhaps, of your life or mine, but the final question at this point. We finish with this question because at the end of this day, this is the question that will impact our future the most. This question defines where we will spend eternity, and the question is simply this, is Jesus the only way to heaven. Many people today think religion falls in the category of subjective truth. They say that you and I can believe whatever we want to believe. We can base that on our personal thoughts, our personal experiences, and come up with a way that we worship God, the way that we do our religion. And that's what they say every man's religion is. It is as valid as another guy's religion, and all of us are equal. In that respect, so they say. God, however, is an objective reality outside of us. Who he is is whoever he is. (laughs) Doesn't matter what we think. It doesn't matter what we've experienced so far. Regardless of what we may think about him, God is God. And he is who he is. God is a reality that is outside of us. But he has chosen to communicate with us and to tell us as well as show us who he is and how he set up this world. 
God has revealed himself through his word, the Bible, and through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to think this morning about a road map for a minute. I wonder how many people in this room today are good map readers or navigators. Anybody feel like you're a good map reader or navigator? Some people can read a map. Some people just can't. You know, they just look at it and say, I don't understand. And then some of us are like me who say, I don't need any stinking map. I know where I am. I know exactly how to get there, and I will not, for any reason, stop to ask for directions. I'm sorry I'm that way, but it's just the way I'm built. But maps are really helpful to those who need one. And when you're going somewhere that you've never gone before, it's really nice to look it up on the map and say, oh, there's where I'm going. Now, what are the routes to get there? You can see where you need to go, the route you have to take in order to get there. And in some cases, you can arrive at a particular destination by taking multiple routes. It might be two or three different ways and still get to the same destination. But in other cases, there's only one route that will get you there safely. Many routes have been proposed to get us to heaven but only one route works. Jesus declared in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Notice he did not say, I am a way. I'm one of the ways. I'm one of several opportunities and options available to you. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And then to make sure that we got the point, he added this, no one comes to the Father except through me. Maybe we can't miss that point. And so the question for today is, was he correct in saying that? Is he truly the only sure way to get to be with God for eternity? On the map to heaven, is Jesus the only tried and true way to get us there? Now, Jesus did not come to earth to be a philosopher. He said many good things. But he wasn't satisfied just to give us good words to live by. He didn't come to earth to be a doctor, although he healed many people. But there are a lot of people that he didn't heal. Jesus came rather to be a savior, the savior of the world. That was his purpose. That was the reason for him coming. He came to bring salvation and eternal life, not just a temporary fix to earthly problems. Look at the way that Jesus described himself to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Jewish leader in Jerusalem who came to Jesus asking him, are you really from God? How can we know that you are from God? And in the middle of this conversation one night, Jesus said these important words, John 3, starting with verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Jesus is the Son of Man. He writes about that it's going to be lifted up, that all those who believe in him can have eternal life. Jesus is God's one and only Son sent into the world not to condemn, but to save those who already stand condemned. Salvation is the ultimate reason for religion itself, I think. 
We want to have an answer to this salvation question. Now, it may be defined different ways. It may be described different ways, but that's kind of the purpose of religion, isn't it? To get us to some place that we're not and us, us to be satisfied for us to be saved in some way. Everyone, whether they are philosopher or deep thinker or not, is asking this question, how can I be saved? You know, what is there that's beyond? What is better than what I've experienced so far? The question is, where are we going to spend eternity? And how can we know for sure? Is Jesus really the only way to be saved for eternity? Well, in Acts 4.12, Apostle Peter declared salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Peter knew the truth. In 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, the Apostle Paul declared, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. One person fits the bill. One person can accomplish what we need in order to be saved. Jesus is the only way to heaven for many reasons. And, you know, we could go on and on about different reasons. Let me just share five of them with you this morning based on some points that were made by a theologian named Bruce Ware. I really appreciated what he had to say, Bruce Ware. First of all, Jesus alone was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of a virgin. Think about that. There is one person that fits the bill, one person that is true of at such He alone qualifies to be our Savior. Jesus had to be both God and man to be able to atone for everyone's sins. And for this to be true, to be both God and man, he had to be conceived by God, by the Holy Spirit, and born of a human being, of Mary, the Virgin. No one else in the history of the world has done this. Therefore, Jesus alone qualifies to be our Savior. Secondly, Jesus alone was God incarnate, God in human flesh. And Jesus showed us what God is like, how God thinks, how God acts. In fact, Jesus said multiple times things like this. He says, I came from the Father and I entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father, John 16, 28. He said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father, John 14, 9. He said, I and the Father are one. John 10.30. Over and over again, Jesus is making this point, I am God in the flesh. I am here to show you what God is like. I am here to tell you the message from God about eternal life. And because he was God incarnate, Jesus alone qualifies to be our Savior. Thirdly, Jesus alone lived a sinless life. Now, in the Old Testament, we read how animals that were sacrificed to God for sin had to be without blemish. And this prefigured the sacrifice of Christ, who is sinless, was able to die for the sins of others, not just for himself. You know, all of us, we will pay for our sins unless Jesus pays for them. But because Jesus lived a sinless life, when he was given our sins, they were placed upon him, then he could be the sacrifice for all of us. No one else in the history of the world has lived a totally sinless life but Jesus. Therefore, Jesus alone qualifies to be our Savior. Fourthly, Jesus alone died on our behalf. 
The wages of sin is death, but because Jesus lived a sinless life, he did not deserve to die. There was being no reason for him to have died except that he willingly gave up his life. We talked about that before, that Jesus gave up his life when nobody could have taken it from him, and he did that so that he could pay the penalty of our sins. The cause of his death was that the Father transferred to Jesus our sins, and the death that he died was in our place. No one else in the history of the world has died because he bore the sins of others rather than judgment for his own sin. Jesus alone qualifies to be our Savior. And then finally, Jesus alone rose from the dead triumphant over sin, which we talked about last week. A few people other than Christ have been raised from the dead, but only Christ has been raised from the dead never to die again. Christ's resurrection from the dead demonstrates that his atoning death for sin accomplished both the full payment of sin's penalty and full victory over sin's greatest power, death. No one else in the history of the world has been raised from the dead triumphant over sin. Therefore, Jesus alone qualifies to be our Savior. I think those are some pretty good reasons. There are many more. You know, Jesus said... I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Other religious leaders have said, follow me, and I'll show you how to find truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. (laughs) Other religious leaders said, follow me, I'll show you the way to be saved. And Jesus said, I am the way. Other religious leaders say, follow me, and I'll show you the meaning of life. And Jesus said, I am the life. It's all about Jesus. Now, does Jesus' exclusive claim still bother you? It really does, as some people. Some people just can't, can't imagine that there's one way. They really object to this. Do you still object, perhaps, that Jesus claims to be the only way to be saved, the only way to be with God forever? Just, just can't be true. Well, R.C. Sproul wrote about Jesus, the only Savior, and he said something that really made a lot of sense to me. He says, you know, people come up to me and they ask me, why is God so narrow that he provided only one Savior? And he said, I think that's the wrong question. That's not the question that needs to be asked. Instead, we should be asking, why did God give us any way at all to be saved? (laughs) You know, instead of just saying, why only one choice, God? We should be asking, God, why did you even give us a choice? Why did he not just condemn us all, Sproul says? Why did God in his grace give to us a mediator to stand in our place, to receive the judgment we deserve, and to give us the righteousness we desperately need? The astonishing thing is not that he did not do it in multiple ways, but that he did it in even one way. And I think it is an unrepentant heart of pride that says, God, I want multiple choices. But somebody is willing to humble themselves, admit their sin, their need for God, is very happy to have one choice. Don't you agree? We are in no position to question God's grace or to make demands of his kindness. How ridiculous it is when we complain about how God plans to save us when we don't even deserve salvation in the first place. When God brought judgment upon the world the first time, he did so through a flood that took the life of nearly every living creature on earth. In the flood, God gave people one way to be saved, and that was to get on the ark. (laughs) The only way they could save their lives 
was to get on board the ark and join Noah and his family and the animals that were there as God delivered them all through that flood and saved their lives. There was no other way to be saved then. And there is no other way than Jesus now. No one else has the place Jesus has in this universe. He alone is Lord and Savior. We must hold to the truth of this word, the Bible, and to the truth himself who is Jesus. The only way we have been promised we can be saved is to ask Jesus to cleanse us from our sins and to give us his righteousness. We must repent of our sins and put our trust in Jesus to save us if we want to be assured of our salvation. Now, you may ask a question that I have in my own mind from time to time. What about that person who never hears about Jesus? What if that person uh, lives their whole life and they're never told about Jesus to come and die for their sins? Will they be saved? Is there any hope for them at all? Well, all I can say is we don't know. We cannot know what God will do about people in that situation. We cannot know whether some of them might be saved or not. We know God is just, and we know God is full of grace. We know that God's desires that everyone would be saved. But we also know that Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Therefore, it is our responsibility as his church to get the good news of Jesus out to this world as quickly as we can, as much as we can, to everyone we can. We must help as many people as possible to be saved through Jesus. We have our marching orders preach the good news to every living creature. The answer to the question, who is going to be saved, is simply this, anyone who wants to be. It is the heart of God for everyone to be saved, for all of us to escape the condemnation that we already deserve. The door to salvation is open wide, and God's desire is for everyone to be saved. In fact, the Spirit of God is working out in the world today to convict and to convince every human being of their need for Jesus. And He wants us to be messengers. He wants us to be witnesses. He wants us to be ambassadors of this message of reconciliation that God is calling the world to repentance and to salvation through Jesus, the Christ. Our mission is to tell everyone about Jesus, the only sure way of salvation. I want to close with some challenging words from a preacher friend of mine named Jeff Streit. Because we live in a world where to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, is suspect and criticized and maligned all too easily. And this is what Jeff wrote. Jesus. It's a little name, a small word. Say this little name in public, however, in a way other than in an obscenity, and stand back and watch the fireworks. This little name is like a tiny detonator that triggers a nuclear warhead. You can say God, and you won't get a squeak. You can say our Father or our Mother in Heaven, and few will flinch. You can say Great Spirit, and people will nod in approval. You can say Allah, and you will be deemed tolerant. But say Jesus, and just wait for the sonic boom. Articles will appear in the paper. Reprimands will be posted from the home office. Suits will be threatened by the civil liberties block. So don't say Jesus. 
Jesus is divisive, and now is the time for unity. Jesus is an extremist, and that must mean right wing. Jesus is exclusive, so his name amounts to hate speech. Keep his name to yourself, we are told. Cloister it in your church. Lock it in your prayer closet. Close it between the covers of your Bible. But for God's sake, don't voice it in the public square. It's immodest. It's immoral. It's unloving. But there's one problem. Jesus is God. There's only one problem. Jesus alone brings salvation. There's only one problem. All other gods are nothing. So speak his name aloud. Shout it from the mountaintop. Whisper it in the dark. Write it in the sky. That's not hate. That's hope. Father, we had lived in such a world where the very name of Jesus is maligned, criticized. We live in such a time where to be his witnesses, we must be willing to take ridicule, rebuke, misunderstanding, complaints. But Jesus is the only way for us to be saved. Jesus is the way to you. And I pray today that those of us who have made that decision, that have followed Christ, maybe for a short time or long, that we would be strong enough in our faith that we would realize the task that is before us, the mission that you have given us. We pray, Lord, that you would be with this church, New Hope Christian Church, as we go through this pandemic time and as we have so many things that have been made different and changed, when uh, our ability to even be in the public square has been limited, and yet it's also been broadened by the Internet. And for the opportunity for us to speak individually has been limited because maybe we're sequestered to our homes or our neighborhoods and we don't get out as much as we did and we're not even working with our coworkers side by side and, and uh, having those conversations that we might have had before. And yet the opportunities are increased, Lord, because we're meeting people we never met before when we go on those walks. And we're talking with neighbors that we never even knew their names before and and now things have opened up in some ways that they were closed before. And the opportunities are rich. The opportunities are many for us to carry the message of Jesus Christ out into this world. Give us courage. Give us strength. Give us wisdom. Give us love. Give us grace as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and sing with us, please?